This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. SCP-4760, an eye for an eye. Powerful individuals are accustomed to having things go their way. If they want something to be done, it will be done, regardless of the costs or obstacles involved. When anomalies become involved, both the costs and obstacles can increase dramatically. The one we'll be talking about today, 4760, is an anomaly that was created simply because a couple powerful individuals willed it to. These people cared little for the ramifications of doing so, more concerned with whether or not they could than if they should. In the end, they'll pay for this kind of thinking, but let's start at the beginning. SCP-4760 is a large machine located on an island in Canada, originally built by an individual named Vincent Anderson, supposedly at the request of an unnamed client. I've discussed Anderson before in my video on Anderson Robotics, the anomalous tech company that he founded at some point in the 1990s. Anderson is anomalous himself due to the technological and thaumaturgical augmentations that have been made on his body, and he is currently contained in the Foundation as SCP-3860. As we eventually learn, though, this machine was built in the 1960s, far before Anderson's company became well known. SCP-4760-A consists of a series of massive tungsten plates located a meter underground, spreading out in a circular pattern roughly 800 meters in diameter. Parts of the plates are coated in thin layers of various rare metals, and beneath them is a network of small copper tubes. When the machine is activated, it's believed that these tubes move some sort of gas from underneath the plates back towards the center of the machine. SCP-4760-B, on the other hand, is a naked humanoid entity seated in a steel chair at the center of the machine. This entity is completely hairless, with no open orifices on its body. Instead of eyes, it possesses two metal ports over each eye socket, with two metallic cables connected that lead into a small television nearby. Despite the entity having no means by which to take in air, its chest continues to move as if it were breathing. It otherwise remains completely still the majority of the time, and does not ever consume food or produce waste. It does, however, occasionally react to stimuli in the form of minor twitches or shakes, although researchers aren't sure if these are just involuntary movements. It is otherwise completely featureless, but some have described it as being vaguely feminine in appearance. The machine's purpose is believed to have originally been remote viewing, with it able to remotely observe any person or place when commanded and the view will show up on the nearby television screen. The entity no longer responds to any verbal commands, 
but it can be triggered to activate by touching the entity or the cables connected to its eye sockets. In all instances of the machine activating, the entity itself will show up in the footage on the television screen, alongside whatever is being observed, typically motionless. There have been instances of the entity interacting with the subjects being observed, however. Through means that the Foundation doesn't quite understand at this point, activation of the machine causes it to suddenly and violently draw energy out of living things in the area, which is inevitably fatal. It is also capable of drawing energy from electrical devices, but the effect is substantially more apparent with living creatures, and it's believed that this effect is intentional, as the machine doesn't function properly without some loss of life. The Foundation has set up an exclusionary zone within the machine's area of effect, and have placed a number of small birds in cages within the area to detect whenever the machine activates. The death of the birds alone has not been proven to be sufficient to power the machine. Those that have been inside of the zone during an activation have shown to maintain consciousness for around 15 seconds before dying. The bodies of creatures dying from this effect show a uniform state of decay, generally appearing dried and withered, with their bones becoming brittle and flesh becoming seized and torn. It's presumed that this process is extremely painful, and animals on the island have learned to completely avoid the area, with no plant life growing in the zone. 4760 was discovered after the death of a hiking enthusiast and internet personality who was hiking and kayaking in the area. In his recorded video, he camps out near the zone and heads into it the following morning, showing the circular region devoid of life. He then notices 4760B, which he initially thinks is some sort of puppet or art piece, but then is quite startled when he notices it breathing. He approaches it and touches its shoulder, causing it to shiver, and suddenly a bird falls out of the sky near him. The entity begins to twitch as the camera footage starts to become grainy and the battery life drops suddenly. A couple seconds later, the video cuts out completely, leaving only heavily distorted sound for a few more seconds, in which the man calls out for his mother before dying. The Foundation discovered it shortly after and seized the land, uncovering a laboratory situated nearby. The laboratory is where they learned that the creator of the machine was Vincent Anderson, and the lab had been abandoned for over 30 years. Most of the data was no longer accessible, but they did find a small cache of data revealed to be Anderson Robotics Project Archives, containing detailed schematics of the machine, a list of testing results, and an exhaustive collection of journal entries and letters written by Anderson. The first letter is from September of 1963, in which Anderson writes to someone named Isaac, and says that they spoke to someone on the phone who acts as a mediator for Mr. Obadiah Dark of Marshall Carter and Dark, a business group that specializes in the trade of anomalous items. The man claimed that MC&D were interested in some of the work Anderson has done, and Anderson writes that he is cautiously optimistic about a potential deal, as he wants to fund the Saker program, their line of human-like androids. In November, Anderson began work on the machine, alongside a small team to handle most of the heavy lifting. 
Anderson spoke to Mr. Dark directly, finding him generally distasteful, but remarking that he is in possession of a truly staggering amount of wealth. Dark expressed to Anderson a single desire, to see the world as his enemies do. He said that his business is in the unknown and the unseen, and he has powerful enemies who thwart his investments at every turn, because they are able to see the unseen. He wants that same capability. Anderson deduces that Dark is referring to the SCP Foundation, but this puzzles him slightly, as he knows that they have influence across the world, but thought that their actual capabilities are rather lacking. Anderson admits that his experience with the Foundation is limited, so perhaps Dark knows something he doesn't. Dark went on to tell him that the Foundation have a machine they call the All-Seen Eye, capable of seeing every man, woman, or child anywhere in the world on a whim. This is a reference to the Ouroboros cycle for those that are familiar with that. Anderson is not unfamiliar with the idea of remote sight, as the start of the Cold War has caused all sorts of groups to begin experimenting with people that they think can see a great distance. Anderson personally finds the concept a bit bland, as you could just put cameras in the sky and do the same thing for half the cost, but he suspects that these governments know more than he does as they continue to grab people off the street to experiment on them. Anderson writes that what Mr. Dark wants is achievable though, and he has a young woman that they grabbed in Southeast Asia that could fulfill this purpose. He finishes the entry by saying that the money will be worth it, but he'd rather just never have to meet Mr. Dark in person again. Three months later, in February, the girl that they had grabbed and are now calling Callisto has been prepped and fitted with the baseline ocular implants, reporting promising results in recovery. The implants are nothing special, simply replacing the natural eyes, and he remarks that she's a ghastly sight, all blood and meat and metal, but she can see, and that's progress. Mr. Dark came back with some new specifications, leading Anderson to believe that he is a paranoid person. Dark said that he doesn't trust a person's words, instead he wants to see for himself what they are seeing. Anderson says that this is tricky, but not impossible, with his first thought being running a line between the girl and Mr. Dark, but Dark expressed revulsion at the idea of being augmented in any way. Anderson says that that's his loss, but they'll just have to find a screen that can work to interface with the implants. Four more months go by, with Anderson writing that there's been more progress and setback. They put the high-grade implants into Callisto, but upon turning them on, they almost immediately overwhelmed her. Anderson says that this wasn't unexpected, as humans aren't designed to pull this much info in through their eyes. A test was done to see if she could see Anderson's office on the other end of the island, which she could, but the effort exhausted her. To counter this, they need to come up with something to provide energy for the implants so that she herself doesn't get drained. The team suggested some sort of atomic generator, but Anderson fears that this will draw the attention of the Soviets and the Americans. He wants something more silent and inconspicuous, such as a large solar-powered disk, although he'd have to come up with something far more efficient than what's currently available. 
Nine months later, they perform a test using the solar energizing disc and have Callisto look into a locker in Anderson's lab in Vancouver and tell him what's in it. Callisto managed to do so, even describing the room itself, and Anderson hooked her up to the television screen and could see what she was seeing as well. He says that she is a remarkable specimen, and her brain is a gift. In another life, she might have been the next Da Vinci or Einstein, but she had been crippled by motherhood, poverty, and loss at a young age. Every now and then, Anderson will catch fleeting images of babies and collapsing buildings on the screen, forcing him to redirect her attention. He says that she is resilient, though, and her mind has shown no frailty when handling so much information. Anderson believes that with a few more months of tune-ups, they'll be ready for a meeting with Mr. Dark, something he'd rather avoid, but business demands it. Anderson starts his next entry 14 months later by writing that if he could communicate a long and drawn-out sigh followed by a vigorous rubbing of the temples, this is where he would do it. It turned out that Mr. Dark was not satisfied with the machine as it is, as he not only wants to see the present time, but also wants to be able to view back into the past. Anderson tried to explain to him that he's an inventor, not a wizard, but Dark wouldn't hear it, and won't pay until it happens. Anderson has no idea what to do, as nearly all of his funds have been put into this machine, and now he's supposed to do something that's actually magical. Even if they could figure out how to do that, it would require even more power than they currently can draw, and the extra effort would likely kill Callisto. Over two years go by before another update, meaning that the project has now extended for five years total. The team managed to get more funds to continue, but Anderson has still not managed to figure out how to look into the past. He was able to fake it slightly by simply delaying the inputs from the implants to make it seem as if she's viewing the past, but it's not sustainable. On another note, Anderson mentions a peculiarity that has been popping up on the video feed on occasion. In the background, there will sometimes be a nude figure, lacking any discernible characteristics, and Anderson feels that it is watching the people or events transpiring in front of it. He ponders if it's some sort of mirage or a projection of Callisto's sense of self, and he does recall seeing it or something similar in the early days of the project when her mind would wander. It's possibly her consciousness made manifest, but... He doesn't know, nor does it really make a difference. Two months later, a miracle occurred, as Anderson was tuning the implants when Callisto suddenly started acting strangely. When he asked how she was feeling, she held out her hand to him, and she began shuddering and shaking. The ground began moving slightly, and she cried out and made many horrible sounds. The television screen then turned on, showing Anderson from many years ago in the Vietnamese town where he first found Callisto. The nude figure walked behind him as he entered the brothel to purchase her, and then a short time later the two stepped out. The screen then went dark, and Callisto slumped over from exhaustion. Anderson writes that everything that was on the screen was exactly as it had been, clear as day, and he has no idea how this was possible. 
In the aftermath, Callisto's speech has been reduced to muttering and is nearly unintelligible. Anderson refers to the event as a stroke of divinity, the likes of which he had never thought he would witness personally, and the implants themselves seem to be completely normal, meaning that the event must have come from Callisto herself somehow. The following day, Anderson writes that while inspecting the solar array, he found a large number of dead animals near the northwestern edge, appearing to be a pack of badly disfigured deer. There didn't seem to be any damage to the array itself, but he suspects there was some sort of electrical malfunction that caused the animals' deaths. He'll need to get it fixed before they demonstrate the machine to Mr. Dark, since it wouldn't be good for him to get electrocuted before paying them. Another 18 months go by, making the year 1970, and Anderson writes that they have finally created a workable trigger for Callisto. The girl is nearly completely mute now, but she still responds to verbal commands and to being touched. When she feels Anderson's hand, she will activate her ability, viewing whatever he indicates. Her hair has all fallen out at this point, but Anderson still lets her use a brush that she can pretend to brush herself with, which seems to comfort her. Her physical body has deteriorated quickly, requiring more and more augmentations, and she is almost entirely sustained by the solar array now. All of her orifices seem to be collapsing on themselves, and she will likely need auditory implants to continue to hear commands. Despite all this, the project is making great strides, and they are on track to finish the project within the 10-year goal that Anderson had set. That's the last of Anderson's written entries, but we're not done with him yet. We're given a short activation log of the machine while it's been in the Foundation's hands, with a D-class assigned to watch the television and write down what they see before they expire. One activation shows the nude figure standing in a building, possibly a school, as kids pass by. The D-class guesses the time frame is in the 80s, but isn't sure, and then a door opens and a man with a gun is standing there, as the figure approaches. Another activation shows a view of a hospital in the Middle East, as people are crying and there's a loud sound. The figure is looking into a window as the sound of a plane is heard and then it explodes. Another activation shows the inside of some facility, with a small boy on the ground as two people, possibly guards, appear incapacitated. The boy is crying and frantically trying to put something together in a corner as someone else is trying to get in the door. The figure is standing behind the boy as the boy's body starts to change. The figure reaches down towards him, but the log is cut off as the D-class expired. Next, we're provided a video file recovered from a cassette tape found in Anderson's lab. The video isn't completely intact, but the footage starts by showing several individuals standing near the center of the machine, the large metal plates visible on the ground. Callisto is covered by a sheet, and a small stage has been set up next to her as Anderson is seen speaking casually to a member of his team. The footage then jumps to show Anderson speaking on the stage, although there's no audio. Another jump, and now Anderson is standing next to Callisto with the sheet removed. A man in a purple bowler hat is inspecting her implants. 
jump again, and Anderson is standing between Callisto and the television, gesturing to someone off screen. The audio is back, and Anderson says that they are going to begin their demonstration, highlighting Callisto's ability to look into the past. He whispers something into her ear and touches her face, causing her to retract and convulse slightly. An audible humming sound is heard as Anderson wipes sweat from his brow and gestures toward the screen. The audio cuts out momentarily, but comes back as two people on the screen are having a conversation. One individual says that something has been delivered today to Marshall's storehouse in Lithuania, but the other individual says that he wants nothing to do with it. The first individual says that Marshall is planning on passing it off to Adam Bright then, which the second individual is fine with. He says that it was a mistake helping Marshall back then, and it would be a mistake to help him now, as he warned him that the factory doesn't go unpaid. The first individual asks where does he think the foundation will keep it, but the second individual doesn't want to speculate, as he knows the foundation has plenty of dark places for things like that. Mr. Dark speaks up while watching the footage, asking who the figure is in the background. Anderson replies that they believe it to be a manifestation of Callisto's sense of self, as a way for her to anchor herself in the moment. Dark asks if the individuals can see it, but Anderson hesitates and says that they can't. At least, they don't think so. Dark then steps up towards Callisto, and although Anderson tries to stop him, Dark pushes him to the ground. He grabs her by the shoulders and leans in towards her face, telling her to find the moment in which he first met a man named Ulysses Sate. Callisto shudders as Anderson calls out, but a member of Dark's security team hits him with a rifle. Dark takes an uneasy step backwards from Callisto as the ground shakes, a member of the security team coughs, and something falls from the sky in the background. The footage on the television changes, and a voice is heard that's identical to the second individual from the previous footage, albeit slightly younger sounding. The individual says that they're anticipating being able to load it onto their ship, and asks someone else if there would be any issues with it. This new individual says that it will be more than sufficient, as long as they keep clear of the coastline. As they continue talking, Mr. Dark tells Callisto to kill the man from the footage, as he can see her figure standing behind him. He slaps her and insults her, causing him to start breathing heavier as sounds of choking come from the television. The second individual calls out Sate's name, asking him what's happening, while Dark yells to let the man die as he deserves it for what he did. A distinct cracking sound is then heard from the television, as two of the security team collapse and begin twitching. More birds fall from the sky in the background, and Anderson is seen rolling on the ground, grabbing at his face. The scene on the television changes, and Dark begins to visibly shake, sounding quite confused about what he's looking at. It seems to be footage of his mother, possibly holding him as a child. Callisto starts to shake violently as the rest of the security team drop to the ground, their bodies shaking and smoking. Fluid begins to seep out from cracks in their skin as the raw red flesh underneath smokes and sizzles as it's exposed to air. Dark lunges for Callisto, but stumbles immediately. 
A loud, wet sound is heard from the television, followed by a scream and another wet pop. On the ground, Dark goes into a seizure and calls out, before his body flashes white briefly. The footage cuts out here, coming back intermittently, showing a perimeter camera looking at the edge of the steel plates as they vibrate. Multiple birds are seen falling onto the plates, and then a single figure is seen in the distance, slowly dragging themselves towards the edge. They crawl onto the grass outside of the machine's area and stop moving. Another cut to a different camera shows a dark room, with a figure moving around in it. A heavily distorted voice is heard, clearly in pain, believed to be the voice of Vincent Anderson. Anderson mutters to himself something about his face, and asks himself multiple times, what has he done? Another person enters the room, momentarily brightening it, showing the room to be the lab. The man is believed to be Isaac Dillard, another member of the team. Isaac asks him what the hell happened out there, and if he's okay. Anderson is heard opening and closing drawers, as he says that he did this to her, and that he created something that was cruel. He felt the cruelty and hate she feels towards him. Isaac doesn't know what he's talking about, but asks where the investors are. The sound of an automatic drill affixing something to a piece of metal is heard, as Anderson goes on to say that this is why he's been so tired. Either she figured it out, or maybe he made a mistake, but he realizes now that he could feel the life coming out of him, being replaced by something inside of Callisto. At this point, Isaac turns on the lights, showing Anderson wearing a crude steel plate with two eye holes and a small slit for a mouth as a mask. It's clear that the skin is missing from his face, and his eyes are fully red. Isaac again asks what the hell happened, and Anderson says that she can be anywhere, and if she manages to activate the machine somehow without the array, she'll find him wherever he is, and she'll kill him. He realizes now that the figure on the screen is not her ego or her identity, but rather, it's her hate. Anderson tells Isaac that they need to bury this whole project, or maybe just abandon it completely and let the elements have their way with it. They need to at least cover the solar array so that she can't use it for power, and then they'll just see what happens. Isaac asks what exactly he means by that thing on the screen. Anderson says that he thought the figure was her consciousness or some kind of anchor, but it's her hatred, and Dark woke it up. A document was also recovered consisting of a letter from Marshall Carter and Dark to Anderson, informing him that a payment for the full sum of their contract, $755 million, has been deposited into his account. They are now considering this matter closed. Finally, the last activation log provided for us, the 95th one on file, consists of the footage showing the machine itself and the figure on the screen looking at Callisto. Anderson set about his goals with no thoughts for morality or ethics, and he paid dearly for doing so. This girl has been treated to a fate worse than death, and her rage and hatred has been stewing for many long years. 
she somehow managed to figure out how to activate the machine without the use of the solar array, instead by drawing energy directly from life itself. Additionally, it seems she's capable of looking anywhere in the world, past or present, and is even able to harm individuals through these visions. With her rage boiling to the top, what else will she find she's capable of? We've seen time and time again the dangers of abusing anomalies for personal gain, but at least most of the time, the offenders get their comeuppance.